My name is Aiden. I'm an associate pastor here at State College Alliance Church, and I'm always uh, delighted to share with you uh, things that I'm uh, digging through the word and the scripture that we have for today. Today we are kicking off a new series for Advent, uh, which is called The Prayers of Advent. And we'll be going through uh, each week, each Sunday, uh, a different prayer from scripture uh, that points towards Jesus or that happened around his birth. Today is a, maybe a little stretch of it. It's a prophetic prayer of Isaiah, maybe not thought of traditionally as a prayer, uh, but we'll be in Isaiah chapter nine. If you have a Bible with you, you wanna turn to Isaiah nine. That's where we'll be hanging out for most of the, uh, the morning today. Um, that's what we're up to for the next four weeks. The final Sunday of Advent is actually Christmas Eve, December 24th. So we have all this information on our Christmas page, but our, the, the Christmas Eve service, we're gonna have one service at 10 a.m. and that's the fourth Sunday of Advent. And then we'll have two Christmas Eve services in the evening. So if, if you're planning ahead and thinking about Christmas Eve, that's what we're doing here. Uh, we invite you and would love for you to come celebrate Christmas Eve with us, five o'clock and seven o'clock, uh, December 24th. So, but today we got a little bit of time to get there. Uh, and I was so, I, I, I got here this morning and saw the choir standing up front rehearsing and seeing all of their like red and green. And then I looked down at myself. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I never think about that sort of thing. But choir, you look great. You sound great. Thank you so much. And doesn't it just seem, I said this in the first service, doesn't it just seem right? Like this is the time of year, like, like, like the, the trees with the lights and singing Christmas carols for all of you who started singing Christmas carols and listening in October. It's okay, but now it's like, okay, it feels right. Now is the time. Advent is here. It's December. Um, so I uh, <laughs> was joking this morning earlier, too, of like, uh, you know, I, I, I've been noticing in my kids, I have three kids, they just get a little squirrelier around this season, and, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, they're excited for Christmas. And then my wife reminded me, she's like, yeah, but you know who's really the most excited? It's our son, Quinn. He keeps saying, Mom, you're talking about Christmas again? Because she's the one who is like the most excited, I think. But, uh, but that's like that, that childlike spirit of this season when we're just full of expectation, uh, full of, I'm, I'm hopeful of this season and what God might want to even do. And if you're here today and you're coming in, you're saying, you know what? I, I would like to be expectant or I would like to be full of hope but I'm just not there, well, it's okay. And today, maybe Jesus will have something for you in this scripture. Uh, comes from Isaiah 9, that he might speak some hope uh, and breathe some life into places that feel maybe a little dead or dark, which is how this, this Isaiah, this passage from Isaiah starts out. It, uh, it starts out talking about people walking in darkness, and we'll get to the scripture in a minute, but just this idea of walking in darkness um, I, I do have a little bit of experience of walking in darkness, like quite, quite literally. Uh, I've shared this before, but for a while I worked at Indian Caverns. It was a business uh, my family ran for years, and I was a tour guide there for a while. And um, part of my job, well, actually, uh, part of my job was fixing the lights uh, whenever the electrical stuff went out. And you can't fix the lights while the electrical system's on. So you gotta like turn off all the lights and then it would just be me like crawling back in through these caves. It was literally like pretty dark. And there were times whenever I was like done where I had a headlamp on, so it wasn't completely dark, but I would be walking out of the cave and I, it's just like I could feel the darkness behind me. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say I just didn't pick up my pace a little bit or run a little bit faster toward 
the light, right, of the door that was open because it was just like, there's something about darkness. Any other people a little afraid of the dark? I'd, I'd like to say I'm not, but you put me in that situation, yeah. Uh, part of our tour, uh, uh, at the very back point in, in the cave, and, and they do this in a lot of caves because in a cave, uh, we, would, we would turn off the lights like completely because in caves is one of the few places where you can experience complete total darkness. You might not realize this, but throughout our lives, even at nighttime, we, we don't experience total darkness. There's always, you know, whether there's some light from street lights or stars or the moon, even on a cloudy night, it's, there's always some light available or from digital devices that are shining or your alarm clock, there's always a little bit of light. But when you get into complete total darkness, it's, it's, uh, we would tell people on the tour, it would say, well, you can put your hand in front of your face and you won't be able to see it at all. So you might think you're seeing your hand, but it's actually your brain is imagining where your hand would be because there's, there's absolutely no light whatsoever. Um, they've done studies on people who have been in complete total darkness, and it doesn't take long for you to start hallucinating and imagining that you're seeing things because your eyes just aren't used to being uh, without any input coming in, and your brain just starts thinking, well, I must be seeing something. Uh, but we would do this uh, at the end of the tour where we would say, okay, I uh, say grab a hold of somebody next to you or grab the railing because you can get a little disoriented with, in complete total darkness. And, uh, and then I'd, you know, I'd shut off the lights and kind of go through that little spiel about put your hand in front of your face, all of that. And then uh, the, if it was a, a friendly group, I would often say like, all right, guys, uh, see you later. I'm out of here. Good luck. Find your way out. And joking, like, what? Huh? But uh, sometimes we'd be there with little kids and it, and it wouldn't take long for a little kid to just start like whimpering or like, uh, or crying or an adult to be like, uh, okay, you can turn the lights on now. It's just, it's just this disconcerting feeling when you can't see, or, or the worst is when the water, it drips water on your head and you're not ex expecting it when you're in a cave. It's like, what was that? It's like, oh, it's just a, we called them cave kisses. Um, so anyways, that's all. Anyway, neither here nor there. So. That's one response was this fear, right? When I'm running out of the cave because there's this darkness behind me or people are like, okay, can you turn the lights on? Because this is really uncomfortable to be in darkness. But sometimes when I was taking a group through, they would have a complete and opposite response. I would say, okay, guys. And, and usually I knew by this point what type of group it was because they've been pretty rowdy or joking the whole way through the tour or whatever. And then it's okay, hold on to a railing or hold on to somebody's hand. I'm gonna turn off the lights so you don't kind of get disoriented. And as soon as I flip the switch, They'd be like howling like wolves and like, oh, and they'd be like, yeah, hey guys, let's party. You know, they would just, all these things would start coming out. I'm like, what is going on? And I'd be pretty quick to like flip the lights. I'm like, all right guys, enough, come on. Um, but there was this sense of like lawlessness that, that, hey, in the dark, we are free to do whatever we want. And I think that's another, we're talking about people walking in darkness there's this idea that in darkness we have this false sense of freedom that we can, we can get away with anything because nobody's going to see it. And I, and I think that both of these responses, whether it's that fear or whether it's uh, you know, this lawlessness, it points to a deeper spiritual darkness that Isaiah is talking about here uh, in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 2. So let's take a moment. Let me pray one more time for us here this morning, and uh, then we'll jump into this scripture and what, what Jesus has to say about this, what, what Isaiah is writing about people walking in darkness, dwelling in a land of deep darkness. So uh, let's pray with me.
Now, one more time. Jesus, we thank you uh, just for your word. We thank you uh, that, that you give it to us, uh, that your word, literally, it's, the Bible says, is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. There's so many examples of light in scripture. Psalm 27, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So Jesus, would you be the stronghold of our lives that we might be able to uh, welcome your light into our lives, into dark places. We pray this in Jesus' name. So if you have your Bible, let's uh, read together here. This is chapter nine of Isaiah, verse number two, uh, the prophetic prayer in this prayers of Advent. It says this, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So looking at the context, if you even just back up a couple verses into chapter eight, Isaiah is, is, is very literally like giving some hope into what was a very dark times in Israel's history. Uh, even at verse 11 and 12 of chapter eight, going back just a little bit, uh, he, he says this in verse 12, he says, um, he, he's warning Isaiah and saying, don't walk in the way of this people. And saying this, the Lord said to Isaiah, he says, do not call conspiracy all that these people call conspiracy. So in Isaiah's time, there must have been these, these conspiracy theories that people are, are like spewing about and like the, the essence of these conspiracies is I'm, like the essence of any conspiracies, there's a lie. And God's saying about Isaiah, don't be like that. He's saying, don't fear what they fear nor be in dread. So there's this sense of fear and lying and all these things in his day. Jumping ahead to uh, verse 19, it says this about them. And when they say to you, so when the people say to Isaiah, what, what are they demanding of Isaiah? They're saying this, they're saying, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. And then God says, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So this idea of the people in Isaiah's day looking for answers, looking for things from, from, from a source of power that is clearly not God, but demonic. And I think that's a part of, of, of this day and age when people are looking for things and it's kind of like an anything but Jesus place to find power, place to find meaning, place to find answers. And he goes on and he says this in verse 21 and 22 of chapter eight. He says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. Does that not sound like today, like just culture, speaking contemptuously against our rulers, the people who are in charge, against our government, against political officials? And yet, like, what is the essence, I think, in Isaiah's day and in our day of all of these things, whether it's conspiracy or fear, seeking power in wrong places, or whether it's, you know, speaking against God and speaking against uh, those who are in control, like, ultimately, it's this tendency of the human heart that is towards darkness, right? That we would choose darkness instead of light, 
Uh, there's all, all kinds of circumstances in this past year, uh, wars, things like that, and, and even over these past few weeks, that if, if there's corruption in a government, well, it's because the leaders who are leading it, that there's darkness within their hearts. If there is brokenness or corruption in business, well, it's because that the, the people who are leading those businesses have darkness within their hearts. And so we can't get away from this as it's some just cultural thing, but it's this reality that this condition of the human heart tends to want to just hide. See, like, what can I get away with apart from Christ? Not all the time, not everywhere and always, but like even, even Paul in Romans in chapter seven, he's like, you know, the good that I want to do, I, I can't do it. And the stuff that I, that I know I'm not supposed to do, well, these are the things, the very things that I find myself doing. And cries out to God. And yet, the hope that we have is in Jesus. And this is exactly what Isaiah is pointing to. He says, people that are walking in darkness, that a great light has come and shine on them, uh, to shine on them. And these are the very words that, that Matthew uses to describe Jesus in chapter four. So when we're talking about, okay, what is the fulfillment of this prophecy that Isaiah is talking about? People walking in darkness, seeing a great light, dwelling in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone on them. Matthew chapter four, so this is clearly, this is Jesus that he's prophesying about. He's coming about 700 years later. Uh, Matthew chapter four uses these exact words and quotes Isaiah nine. And I'm gonna start just a little bit here in verse 12 where Matthew writes, now when he, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. They've seen Jesus. Jesus showing up on the scene in that particular place and time. It's a fulfillment. So who is the light? What is the light? It's Jesus. Jesus is the light. And this is how Jesus speaks of himself. If you read in the uh, Gospel of John, uh, there's a couple of times that Jesus says directly that I am the light. And in the beginning of John, uh, at verse one, uh, he writes this. It's about Jesus. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So not only is Jesus this light that's shining on them, but it's just saying very clearly that Jesus shines into darkness. This is, this is what he does. This is who he is, that he is this source of light that would shine into dark places. And that's kind of the one, the one main point from today, that Jesus shines into darkness. And that might be a place to bring hope into our lives. If there's anything that feels dark or heavy, that Jesus would be the one who would shine into that darkness. How would he do that? I'm so glad you asked. So um, the, the rest of the scripture here in uh, chapter nine of Isaiah, I think shows five different ways that Jesus shines light into darkness. So this morning, we're gonna go through these next five verses and look at five different ways that Jesus can shine light into dark places. So join me here in this journey. So the next verse, uh, verse three, says this. You have multiplied the nation. 
you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. So what does Jesus do when he shines light in the darkness? What's the very first thing that happens? He brings joy. It's like, what? Of course, this is what happens. Like, if you've ever been in a long, dark place, or if you've ever had a, sleep, a sleepless night, like, okay, you're just kind of tossing and turning all night long. It's like, I've been there at like two or three or four in the morning. I'm like, when is this? Is it just, is the sun ever going to rise? And then finally the sun comes up and it's like, okay, that's, I can be, I can, I'm done with that night. It's that same type of like joy and hope. Now that's kind of a rough space to be in, like I'm really tired that day. But still, there's this hope of like, okay, the sun is coming up. The light is rising. There's this start of this. There's something new that's happening here. And that's exactly what, you know, the light that's shining on these people that are dwelling in darkness, that they would bring joy. And it says, what is this joy like? It's like, it's like whenever they are at a harvest, this joy of this abundance. It says, it's like when, when they're glad, when they divide the spoil, when you divide spoil, it's like at the end of the war, when the war is over, it's saying that, he's saying, okay, the war is finished and they're the victors and they get to like take in all of the, the spoils of the war and saying, like, okay, security, you are now secure because the war is done. You now have enough. This is the light that Jesus would shine into dark places where they maybe feel hopeless or feel no joy. And in that, you know, you say, what do we, what do, we do with this? And, and I'm not here to say like, okay, you just have to try harder to have joy or you just have to, um, you know, fake it till you make it. Like, just, just put a smile on your face. I don't think that's what, um, what Jesus, that's not how he works in shining his light into dark places. But I look at these people who are dwelling in dark li- darkness. It says that on them has light shone. They, they did nothing. They just simply were there and, the, and, the, and the allowed the light to just wash over them. And in that, that's where he brought joy. So today I wonder if, if there's something to that for us of like just coming before Jesus of just sitting in his presence and just allowing his light and his truth to wash over us and just asking him, would you bring joy? Because I could really use a little joy. And just waiting on him and seeing, and maybe there's, there's this, this little, little bit of hope that would be born in the silence, in the quiet of sitting in his presence. So this is the first thing Jesus does. When he shines light into darkness, he wants to bring joy. Verse four, the next thing he does, he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So what is this on the day of Midian? Um, If you look that up, this is referring to uh, in Joshua, chapter six and seven, where um, Gideon, 
goes out to fight against the Midianites. And uh, if you're not familiar with this story, what happens is God wants the people to know, like, this is not you fighting to win the war, but this is me winning the war on your behalf. It's like this, this lopsided victory where God tells Gideon, I was like, all right, tell any of the guys who are afraid to fight, just tell them to go home. And that whittles down, like, Gideon's army of, like, 20,000 down to, like, half of that, 10,000. And then he keeps whittling down the army until a smaller and smaller group, until he's left with just 300 men. And now he says, okay, Gideon, just take these 300 and go and circle the camp. And, and God's like, I will fight for you. And, and then end, what ends up happening is they, they, take, they follow the instructions to bring these lamps or the torches and like these uh, jars that they smash the jars and they blow trumpets and they hold torches. And the Midianites, they start fighting each other and they start fleeing. And then the, they just chase them down. And so it's, it's this, this lopsided victory that, that Isaiah is see, seeing here, that this yoke being broken, the staff being broken, the rod of the oppression being broken, not by our own work or not by our own efforts or not by our own power, our own might, but, but it's the Lord who wants to do this, this lopsided victory of us doing nothing and and him doing everything. And so what does Jesus do? He breaks burdens. And when I think about this context of darkness and light shining into darkness, like what is the burden that Jesus might want to break today? And the first thing that came to mind is this idea of a burden of shame. Because shame is like, shame loves darkness. Shame tells you, like, you need to keep that, whatever that is, something you've done, something that's been done to you, you need to keep that in darkness. Shame would tell you, like, if you told somebody about that, they wouldn't like you anymore. It's this idea that, that you have no value in community because of what you've done or what's been done to you. And Jesus is like, that is a lie. His invitation is to let light shine in, that that burden of shame would be broken. So how do we do that? Well, Scripture tells us to confess your sins to one another. And that can feel like a really scary thing, but how much, like, that in itself is like a, a shame-inducing. It feels like I'm going to be so ashamed if I have to, like, air my dirty laundry of the stuff that I've done, and like, ugh, again, that's the lie. What does scripture say? In Acts, it says this. It says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And then verse 20 in chapter 3, Acts, it says, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This idea of confession and repentance would bring not shame, but it brings the complete opposite. When you let the light and the truth of Jesus into your heart, it's not this, this increase of shame, it's this lifting of the burden. It's the breaking down that dividing wall that we put up that says, I'm not gonna tell anybody this. I had the opportunity uh, leading up to the Soul Care Conference, you know, and if you've read Soul Care, or if you've read any of uh, Rob Reamer's things about, about this, uh, part of it is like having a full life confession uh, is part of Soul Care, so that you would have no secrets, that shame would have no hold over you. And yeah, I've confessed sins, but there's always been these like one or two things that I'm like, oh, 
I've never told anyone this before. And if you say those words ever, if you have something in your mind you're thinking right now, it's like, oh yeah, I've got this thing. I have never told anyone this before. Why is it? It's because of shame. Jesus wants to break that burden of shame. And so, so what did I do? Leading up to soul care, I was like, okay, if I'm gonna be real about this, I gotta be real about it. So I uh, called up my buddy Seth, Pastor Seth. I said, hey, there he is, big heart over there. I said, Seth, thanks buddy. Um, can we meet? Because I got some stuff I need to get off my chest. I want to live in the light. And he graciously, graciously, I actually had to go back a second time. I was like, yeah, actually, I left some things out. Uh, so we took a little walk around the building here. And, and yeah, of just like how to live a life in the light. Not to say that I'm going to be perfect or, uh, you know, not sin anymore, but just that opportunity to like get things off my chest that I'd never told anybody. And yet, was it hard? It felt like, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed to even say this. But then, I think this is probably the biggest thing from that weekend, just feeling those streams or those times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord, which is when I get those off, off my chest. Or, or if it's shame around something that's been done to you, um, you know, there's just a sense of like bringing it to the light. And not to tell everybody, but to tell someone that someone would say that was wrong and should never have happened. An opportunity for you to then to forgive that person. And in forgiveness, if there's any bitterness that's there, that's another burden that we carry, it's bitterness. But in forgiveness, again, that bondage of bitterness is just, can be broken. So this is what Jesus does. This is why he came to shine light into the darkness, that he would bring joy, that he would break burdens. But there's more. So, verse five, moving on. Uh, it says this in verse five. It says, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment of the, tr- of the uh, sorry, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And as I was thinking through this, a lot of common, uh, commentaries on this verse talk about, well, he's removing the tools of war or he's removing, you know, getting rid of the, the things of war because the wars are no more. And, and, and I was like, okay, I get that. But I, I just felt like the Spirit was saying there's something more. And, and if you look at Israelites, their, their, um, their culture, that anything having to do with blood or even when you were out in battle and if you killed someone in battle, that, that made you unclean. And if you think about like the, the boots that have been through a war zone, you know, what kind of stuff is left on your shoes after you've been in battle? I can't imagine. Just the filth and the dirt that is there. Talk about a garment that is rolled in blood. Who would want to put this shirt on? And he says, what are these things that have gone through war and come back? Like, what do we do with like this filth? of just the, the challenges of life, the thi- again, things done to us or things that we have done, if we take it into today, into this context, of like, well, that he wants to take those and that they would be burned. And in the Bible, what does is, what is burning and what does fire bring? Well, it brings purity. It's a way of cleaning off the broken, the bloody, the awful things of the past. And so what does Jesus want to do in, in shining light into darkness? I think he wants to restore purity. 
that we might be able to say, okay, I'm gonna take off this garment of the flesh that maybe I feel like has been rolled in blood. I'm gonna take off these boots that, yeah, maybe I've trampled some people in my days and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Jesus burn these in the fire so that he might replace on my feet, not boots for battle, but shoes. As Paul writes in Galatians, that your feet might be fitted with the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Just opposite that we wouldn't wear garments stained with blood, but that we would be clothed with righteousness and clothed in Christ. I think in this season, what is light shining into darkness, letting Jesus shine light into darkness, is letting him restore purity in us. And again, I think it's the same thing as before. How do we do this? Like uh, John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he says, and to cleanse us. This is part of what he does. The blood of Jesus would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus is shining in the darkness. He's bringing joy, breaking burdens, restoring purity, and then verse six says this. Oh, you know these ones, if you know handle. For unto us a child is born. You know that one? Unto us a son is given. Unto us. I forget, I forget the next line, whatever it is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this handle, use these in the Messiah. This is some of the most famous uh, part of the scripture. Uh, I, I shared in the first service, I always hear the, the Amy Grant version of this song because that's what I grew up listening to. Any other Amy Grant Christmas fans out there? Yeah, all right, that's my people right there. I, I, I shared this, I don't know, some other time I was talking with a friend. I was like, oh, every time we decorate the Christmas tree, I just gotta listen to Amy Grant. And he's like, that's like the worst Christmas music ever. <laughs> like, no, it's not. That's what I grew up. That's why I love it so much. I grew up listening to Amy Grant, so I'm trying to instill that on my kids every time we're decorating the tree. Amy Grant, there it is. But that's, that's what I hear. For unto us, this is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And these are the types of words that, that when, when a ruling king would, would give birth, his, his, the, the queen would give birth to a son. This is the, the de declaration, the proclamation that, hey, a new king has been born, that the line is being continued. This is what this declaration means. We're talking about Jesus. And then it says this about Jesus. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Some translations say the, all authority will rest on him. And that's an interesting thing because we, we think about, uh, if I think about the president of the United States, where does he get his authority? Well, he gets his authority from, he like stands on the constitution. He, he gets his authority from our government. It's given to him. But this is like flipping it the other way around where, no, the government itself, all authority rests on Jesus. Something completely different about the way he rules. He is the source of authority. And then it gives him these, these four names. It says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That the source of all wisdom, the one who knows the answers. Wisdom greater than the wisdom of Solomon, as Jesus said about himself. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. You know, this idea of a God who is able to do all things. That there's nothing outside of his, that, that he cannot accomplish or do. 
everlasting Father. It's not something that we often put as a title of Jesus. We think of, okay, God the Father as something separate from Jesus the Son, but yet in Jesus, it's not, not mixing these two up. They're like, wait, is Jesus the Father? No, Jesus is still the Son, but in Jesus that he is like the Father. Jesus said himself, like, you know the Father through knowing me, the Son. That Jesus would show us exactly what it is to be a perfect father. That Jesus would then be able to heal and to be that, 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 that person in our lives if we didn't have it. That he would be able to guide and direct, to raise us perfectly, to show us the way to go. Everything, whatever a father is supposed to do. Protect, comfort. And lastly, he's the prince of peace that in him, that he would restore peace. And in and, and Isaiah's day, and even up through like in the time of Jesus, I think a lot of people thought of this prince of peace as one who was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. They were going to, to bring in an earthly kingdom and say, okay, finally, we will be able to conquer all our enemies. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That is way too small a picture. That's not the type of peace I'm talking about. Jesus is talking about the like cosmic eternal peace between between God and his creation which has been which this peace has been shattered from our own darkness of of going away from him and yet Jesus is like no I'm coming after you to bring you back to the father to restore this relationship in ways that you cannot a peace for all people and this is the light of Jesus that shines in the darkness that would, he would rule perfectly. Is that, that fourth one here in verse six. And so what do we do in this? Well, I think there's a, is an opportunity to, to say, okay, Jesus, I know you're, 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 you've got all wisdom and you've got all power, but I'm gonna go and live my life the way I want to. You know, I'll, I'll show up maybe on Sunday or, you know, I, but I'm still gonna do what I wanna do. Or the opposite of that, or the other option would be like, you know, actually, Jesus, I'm going to surrender to your lordship. I'm going to trust your wisdom. I'm going to trust that you're able to do things that I'm not able to do. I'm going to trust that you can bring peace even within my own heart, because I feel like sometimes the war is right inside me. And so, what do we do? Surrender to his leading. Jesus, shining light into darkness. So verse seven, the last one, says this. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what is Jesus doing in this? The beginning, it says, the increase. His government is increasing. His peace is increasing forever. There's no end of it. So what is he doing? He's advancing his kingdom here on earth. So what began in darkness at the beginning of this, like people walking in darkness, it's like, it's like the light is shining in one place where Jesus was in Galilee saying, hey, light has come here and now it's spreading throughout the whole world. And, and this is what like, we see from, from this time forward moving to the end of all things and the end in Revelation. How does it end? 
darkness. Night is no more. Scripture says that Revelation 21, it says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. It, it, and its lamp is the lamb, which is Jesus. By its light will the nations walk. Wow, people not longer walking in darkness, but walking in the light of Christ eternally. It says this in verse 25 of Revelation 21. It says, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. And then back in Isaiah chapter nine, it's like he puts his final stamp at the very end of verse seven. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is that type of hope what Aaron was talking about at the beginning. It's not this like wishful thinking like, yeah, well, I, I, I hope that God does something. No, this is Isaiah saying, no, you can count on God to do these things. This is, this, this is what God does. He shines light into darkness. The New Living Translation translate that, that, that last part of the verse in this way. It says, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This is what we have our hope in. That God can do these things even in our own hearts. So, what do we do with this advancing his kingdom? Well, he invites us to join him in bringing light to the world. He invites you to carry the light of Jesus out into dark places. Not to point to yourself, but to point to him. And say, look how good he is. He wants to shine his light here. To bring that hope of Jesus to those still walking in darkness. And how does he work? Well, Dallas, Dallas Willard said it this way. He says when, and the quote's up on the screen, when the light comes into a room, we do not have to say, now what are we gonna do about darkness? It's just gone. This is how Jesus works. He shines his light into dark places. So even today, maybe he's shining his light and illuminating areas where he wants to work in your own life for your good. But I also know that he will not force his way. He will not force his healing on you. You know, he waits until we open the door of our soul. That He waits until we would open it up to let his light shine in. We can just as easily block that light through an unwillingness to surrender, allow him to rule perfectly, an unwillingness to confess, or an unwillingness to forgive. So today, we're gonna prepare to take communion. At this time, um, the worship team uh, choir and instrumentalists can come on up to the stage. But to take some time even right now to reflect, uh, you know, just honestly, like, is there some darkness? Is there anything that, that maybe the Spirit's illuminated in your heart for today that's like, yeah, okay, God's kind of putting his finger on something. And we might confess that to him or to offer it to him or just bring it out into the light or to share with somebody after service today. So, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe today is that first one of like, 
allowing him to rule perfectly. That, that's part of my story of like how I came to Jesus. Is like I, I was trying and going in my own way and trying to live life the way that I thought I wanted to until it finally left me just broken. It's like the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that. And he just runs away and wants to live life his own way until he finds out, you know, it'd be better to be a slave in my parents' house. I kind of came back to God being like, look, I failed. And yet in that moment is where I found the greatest love from God. It's like the father coming and running to pick me up and to say, no, no, I'm right here with you. Let me put my robe around you. Let me take care of you. Clothing and righteousness. So if that's for you, Jesus just simply said to his first disciples, he said, follow me. And they're fishermen, so what they do, they drop their nets and they followed him. So sometimes I wonder if it's just as easy as that of saying, okay, Jesus, you know what? I wanna follow you. Maybe, maybe your prayer today. And then we're taking communion, which is a remembering and recognition of the sacrifice that Jesus made through the death of his body, that he would take onto him all of the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done, all of the things that separate us from Jesus. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna take that from you. And then that he would raise to new life to show that he has power over sin, over death. So if that's you, you can come and acknowledge that sacrifice made on your behalf in communion. So hear these words from 1 Corinthians 11 that says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we often kind of pause there, but this is what Paul writes after that. He says, so then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So take this opportunity, do a quick little heart check. Is there anything between you and God that you need to confess to him? So we invite you to reflect Confess any sin the Lord brings to mind. If you haven't committed to following Jesus, then we ask you to, to refrain from taking communion because as we say here, it would be acknowledging a sacrifice that you have not yet received. And Jesus doesn't want to exclude you from this, but he wants to include you. And he's saying like, he wants you on his team. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done. So it's an invitation to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Lord.